hey, Skylar, I feel your pain. I remember the last time we hosted, uh, I said, okay, Beth, you want to do this again? That's fine, but I'll be in a hotel because my boss has me working on Sundays. <laughs> well, if nothing else, students, we hope that you've experienced this weekend you're, that you're a priority. You are a great priority for us. I was thinking about one family in particular, many of you know who I'm talking about, who have four young boys and yet they're hosting, what, uh, 16 or 15 or 16 uh, sixth graders, sixth grade boys, yeah. That, that household knows boys, so that's good. But um, I'll be sending them a, a fruit basket later on. I don't know if that'll help. Uh, but I understand. I see, the, I see your shirts. I wish I, uh, that we had enough for me to have one. I love them. Fearless. You know, the, the scriptures say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom, not the end of wisdom, and that's not where God wants you to live. He doesn't want you to live in a place of fear. He wants you to be motivated by something else. We're going to be talking about what, what motivates us to do the right thing. What motivates us to, to God's very best? What motivates us this morning? Ken Davis is a, a funny guy I know. He, um, he said that when he was young, uh, the way his parents would motivate him to go to, to a church would be like this. You get ready and you get ready now so we can get there on time to learn about the love of Jesus, right? <laughs> and, and so sometimes we need external motivators, right? And sometimes we, we try to motivate ourselves. We even make, we even make uh, like uh, deals with God. It's like, God, it's a new year, new resolution, and I'm not going to have any more Krispy Kreme donuts this year. But there it is, the hot donut sign on, is, is, is on, right? The hot donut sign now is on. And so if there's like a parking spot like right in front of the door, I'll, I'll stop. Okay, I'll just kind of drive around. So if I drive around and there's a, uh, if there's a, around the building one, you know, and, and if there's an open spot in front of the door, then, then I'll, I'll know that, that I should go in. And, and, and after nine times, he, he got in. After the ninth time, there was an open slot, and he got some Krispy Kreme donuts. That joke didn't go over very well. That's okay. But sometimes we have external motivators. Sometimes we have internal motivators. What's the right kind of motive to do the right thing? And maybe you're thinking, well, Tim, of course, you're, you're a pastor. You, you, know, you, you don't struggle with doing the right thing, do you? I mean, you know, of course not, because you're in ministry, right? And, and usually when I, what I think when somebody says that to me, I think, uh-huh. That's what I think. Uh-huh. That's the proper theological and professional response. Uh-huh. Paul himself struggled with doing the right thing. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I know that are good for me, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, the things that I, I know are bad for me, those are the things that I do. Everybody struggles with this. So how do we get the right motive? Not the guilt motive, not the fear motive. How do we get the right motive? See, fear and guilt run a short distance. They actually work. If I make you feel afraid, I can, I can get you to do things. If I make you feel guilty, I can get you to do things. But not for long. After a while, you won't like it. You won't like me. You won't like church. God has some other fuel for you to motivate you. Did you know that? And it's really, really good news. 
It's called grace, but you have to get it in the right place. And sometimes it has to break through some of the other things that you have in its place. So let's take a look at how grace can break through to motivate you your whole life long in the right direction. From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is, this is the Lord speaking to you. This is Jesus saying to you. He's saying this. He, he, he wants something for you. He doesn't want you to live your life in fear. Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, not about your body, what you'll put in it, on it. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, people who are far from God, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. God, bless this word, I pray. Not only to our minds to understand it, but our hearts to receive it, that with our hands we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. An old coach, old ball coach, Cowboys, Coach Landry, he used to say that my job is to get people to do what they don't want to do so that they could become what they only dream they could become. And I, I, I think about that quotation periodically, and I think, yeah, but, but how do you get them to want to do it? My job is to get people to do what they don't want to do so that they, can, they can become what they only dream they can be? Yeah, but how do you get them to want, want to? So many times when I was growing up, I, I, I came, to a, came to church and I just thought it was all about should do. What sh- I should do. What, what should I do? You know, I feel like the, the finger's always wagging at me. What, what, am I, what should I do? See, there's something that you're made for. There's something that's made for you. And it can turn all the things that feel like I should do them into things that you want to give you the you that you can be, to help you become everything you can be. God gives us something called grace. Grace is the answer to moving all the things that feel like I should do. I should take out the trash. I should call, I should write a thank you note to my grandmother, right? I should, you know, I should be nice to my sister, right? But I get to, right, I get to go to the movies with my friends. 
I get to eat all of, of the candy that I received for Christmas in one sitting. I get to do that, right? Those are the things I get to do. How do you move from, from the things that feel like, they feel heavy, like you should do them, to, the things, to becoming the things that you get to do? How does that happen? And that is this. It's not just understanding grace. It's that grace needs to have a particular role in your life. Now, you have to get this if listening to me for a few more minutes is going to make any sense at all. You have to get this part. And that is that grace has to have a role. You have to trust it. It means that grace has to get to places where it isn't right now. And that's true for all of us, right? There are places where some of y'all live out of a place of grace and some of you uh, have places in your life where you're not living out of grace. You're living out of something else. You're living out of a sense of fear or anxiety or guilt, right? Now think about this. Guilt is a powerful motivator. It's powerful. I hear this kind of thing all the time. Like it's something like this. Maybe maybe you call somebody up and they say you say, "Hey, um, we're doing this thing tomorrow. Could you come help? Uh, I just need your help." And the person says, oh, "Why do you always call me at the last minute? I mean, I I just can't understand why. Why can't you give me more notice? Right? You, have you heard that kind of conversation? Of course you have, and you'll hear it again. What's going on in that conversation? Let's peel back the layers. That person isn't just mad at the other person for saying, hey, can you come help me tomorrow? They feel something, and they don't even know it. They don't even know what they're feeling. What are they feeling? They feel guilty because they want to be a part. They want to help, but they want to blame that, that this is too last minute. But see, we feel torn all the time. You feel guilty all the time. You and I feel guilty all the time, and it's not good. It's not good for you, and it's not what God wants for you. He doesn't want us to walk around feeling guilty and anxious. See, the reason we feel guilty is because we need something. We're designed for something. And, and it's called the kingdom. It's called righteousness. It's called being okay with God, being at peace with God. He wants that for you. He wants you to be at peace. And he wants you to be motivated not just to run a sprint and burn out, but he wants you to be able to go the distance. And that means what needs to motivate us is grace. And that means that grace needs to have a role in everything you do. You know, some of you are for, at 49% grace. And you got 51% to go. Some of you are at 10% grace. Some of you are at 80% grace. Grace needs to motivate everything we do. And so let's look at it. Let's, how do you move from should do to get to? And the answer is grace, but grace has to have a role in every part of your life. Are you with me now? Are you with me? Is this making sense? Grace has to fuel it. Grace has to win. A couple different ways that grace can begin to win in your life over fear and anxiety. Two ways, okay? Two quick ways. The first is this. That grace will begin to win in your life when you realize that God is for you and not just for your behavior. Did you hear me? You hear what I said? God is for you. He's for you. God is for you and not just your behavior. He wants you and not just your good deeds, your good works. He's not saying, you know, behave, right? And I'll love you. He's saying, love you. I love you. And when you realize that he is for you, no matter what you're doing, right? There's an old movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, an old Clint Eastwood movie. I used to love that movie. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. I thought, I'm all three of those things, right? And, and, and so are you, all right? So are you. You got good, you got bad, and you got, you got ugly. And, and a lot of times we think God only wants the good. He, he's only for the good in me. He's for all of you. He's for every part of you. And when you get that, when that begins to break through, grace wins. And it begins to drive. It becomes the motivating force of your life. Let me explain this. Let me explain this so that you really get it like in your heart and not just in your head. And, and, and a guy I know of, his, his name is, is, is Paul Timothy Jones, and he adopted this little girl when she was eight years old. And he tells a story about how difficult it was for her to integrate into his family because the previous family that, that had this little girl, maybe they meant well, but they... They really didn't do everything they needed to do, probably, in integrating this girl who was adopted into the full life of their family. So she felt like, I am fully 100% a daughter, right? And so it was really tough for their family because she was already sort of suspicious that, that they were going to reject her too. And one of the things that, that happened, this is just heartbreaking, one of the things that happened in her previous family, where, where, where her foster family, is that when they'd go to Disney World, she didn't get to go. The rest of the family did. I can't even. It just, it's just incredible to think that you're going to have a, someone living in your house and everybody gets to go, but not this little girl who had no forever family. And then uh, the Joneses, they, they adopted her. And, and, and they said, you know, we're going to take everybody to Disney World just to show her that she is fully part of our family. And, and, and so leading up to, those weeks leading up to going to Disney World, everybody knew that they were going, and she knew that she was going, but she, was, she didn't believe it. She didn't trust it. And so she started acting out. She started just being cruel to the other, other girls in the family. She started doing things that would be... It would be easier just to do the things she was supposed to do, but she'd do the opposite thing because she was kind of testing, testing, testing. And she didn't even fully understand what she was doing, right? She was just feeling anxious, right? Just like the, the scripture's talking about. She's living in anxiety that she's not really part of the family. And even through, then she ended up going to Disney World, right? And even through the first day, right, she's still misbehaving and doing crazy stuff. You know, I mean, running off and that sort of thing. And that night, uh, uh, Paul Timothy Jones, he, he says he sit, sat down in the chair in the hotel room and she crawled into his lap and she, she looked at him, grabbed his cheeks and looked him right in the face and he, she said, I can't believe it. I did get to go to Disney World and not because I was good, but because I'm yours. Not because I'm good, but because I'm yours. Do you feel that? Do you get that? See, that's what God is saying to you in the scripture. He's for you. He wants, he wants you to have something, and we need it. We need to be okay with God. We need to be at peace with God. We need to recognize that you're, you're going to be anxious until you're there in that place. You're going to have an anxiety. You're going to try to do it some other way. You're going to self-justify, just like that conversation, like, hey, can you come help tomorrow? Why do you always ask me the last minute, right? 
The person who's at peace with God, who's living out of a place of grace, you know what they say? They say, <laughs> this little thing, they say, no, I can't do it. <laughs> That's what they say. People who are at peace, they say, no, I can't. But thanks for asking. When they're at peace and they can't make it, right? See, we're always self-justifying. Even those little teeny moments, like I'm just talking about that little conversation, we're always either living out of a place of grace or we're going to live out of a place of guilt. That's your choice. That's what's going to happen. And that's why Jesus is saying, look, seek first the kingdom. And that means belong somewhere. Belong. You're, you're going to belong somewhere. And either you're going to be living your life out of a place of guilt and where you're doing it all on your own or you're going to have a trust that grace has a role in your life. You're a part of the family. Here's, here's what a guy named Martin Luther uh, said about it. He was, he was a, a scholar, one of the brightest people in the world at the time, and he was a, a Bible teacher. This was about 500 years ago. And he hated, he hated, hated this passage in, in Scripture. Hated. He was angry with God about this, this passage in Scripture that call, talks about having the righteousness of God because he thought it was like about something he had to do. And he said this, he said, I saw, finally, he said, I saw the connection. This is Romans 1, 16 and 17 that he's talking about. I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Now think about that. Think about that little girl. Is she living by faith? Is she living by trust that she's part of the family? Are you living by faith or trust that you're part of God's family? Are you living out of that place? The person on the phone who says, why do you always ask me the last minute? She's not, li she's not living out of a place of grace. She's living out of a place of guilt. And here is Martin Luther. He's saying, then I grasped that the justice of God is the righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through him. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This was his experience. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before, the justice of God had filled me with hate. Hate, I'm telling you, listen to that. That's strong language. Now it became to me an inexpressibly sweet, great love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. See, a lot of, see, religion says this, you obey and you're accepted. Christianity says this, you're accepted. Therefore, you'll be motivated powerfully to obey, to do the things that are great to do, that are good for you to do. You see, listen to what he's saying. The lilies of the field, the birds of the air. You need something more than birds need feathers. You need something more than lilies need petals. There's something you need. That's what he's saying. Look at the lilies. Look at the birds. Just check them out. You need clothing. You need food. But there's something you need more than that, and that is to be okay with God. It's to be at peace. Are you at peace? When, when someone tries to guilt you into something or someone tries to use fear to get you to feel a certain way that, so that they'll get a certain response out of you, are you at peace anyway? Are you at peace? And see, that's what Jesus says. He wants you to be motivated by a sense of his grace.
So that's the first thing, is that God is for you, not just for your, your behavior. You're not here, and we don't spend all this time, and we don't open all these homes and stay up all night with you just so that uh, we can get you to behave. It's not about that. What, what Jesus is saying is he knows that when grace actually gets in and has a real role in your life, he's going to get the rest of you too. But second is this. When grace begins to have a real role in your life rather than feeling like you have to earn God's favor, guess what happens? He lets your effort count. Now, see if you can understand what I'm saying. Without grace, you're, you're anxious, and so you're doing all kinds of things maybe out of guilt and out of fear, right? And, and you realize that... that it doesn't get you what you need. It doesn't get you peace. And you work harder and harder, and you try harder and harder, and sometimes it doesn't even get you what you want to do. You, like Paul, he's saying, I, I'm trying harder. I'm trying harder to do the things I should do, but I keep doing the wrong thing. But by grace, here's the difference. When, when grace begins to break through, here's what happens. God not only says, look, you don't have to obey me to be accepted. I've accepted you, Right? But not only that, he says, now the things that you do, the, the way that you try, is more like training. It's like training. I want to tell you a quick story about this. Uh, it's a story about uh, a, a king and a carrot. And, and this king, this king had a gardener. And the gardener grew this amazing carrot, like the perfect carrot. All right? And he pulled that carrot out of the ground and he took it to the king and he said, my sovereign, this is the best, this is the best fruit. This is the best vegetable. This is the best produce of the garden. That's even possible. I've never seen a carrot like this. And I'm presenting it to you with, with my love. Now, there was somebody, there was a courtier at, at, at court and he was, he was a nobleman. And he realized what was going on. And, and he watched and, and the, the king's response. And the king said, he said to the gardener, he said, thank you. Now, I'm going to give you a wealth of lands to oversee because of your gift. And, 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 and this, this nobleman, he said, well, gosh, if, if a, 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 a gardener can give him a, a carrot, a small gift... And get that kind of reward? What if I go back to my stables and give him a big gift, a great gift, my best horse? So he goes and he gets his horse and he brings it to the king and he says, he says, uh, my sovereign, this is the best horse that I have. Receive it. Receive it. And the king said, thank you very much and dismissed him. Now the nobleman was kind of crestfallen. He walked out and he said, what's the deal? And the king recognized that, that on his face was disappointment. And he said, you're thinking about the gardener, aren't you? You're thinking about what I, what, what I gave to the gardener for his gift. He said, the gardener's gift was a gift out of love, but you are just trying to make a profit. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. You see, when grace begins to break through, you no longer do things because you have to do them, because you should do them. 
you begin to have the experience and freedom to do them out of your own sense of love for God. That's what we want for you. When you experience that, there's an incredible freedom. Think about this. Peter, um, the apostle Peter, who denied Jesus three times, right? And the rooster crowed, you know, you know that whole story? And, and, uh, and he felt ashamed of himself, right? And because he denied, he was so close to Jesus and he said, I will go with you even to death. And then he doesn't even admit that he's a friend of Jesus when Jesus is captured, right? And so, so, so Peter, Peter denies Jesus and then the next time he sees Jesus, Jesus rises, is crucified and then he rises from the dead and then he sees Peter and and here's the amazing thing that Jesus says to Peter. And, and it's, what Paul, it's what Jesus is saying to you in this passage. He asks Peter three times, do you love me? And, and the first couple of words he says, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? The last time he says, do you just love me like a brother? Even if it's imperfect love, do you love me? Do you love me with an imperfect love? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I, I love you with an imperfect love, a brotherly love, a human love. And Jesus says, well, go and feed my sheep anyway. He says, go and do the thing, even imperfectly. You see, sometimes when we're striving to be perfect, we keep ourselves from doing the good. It comes down, really comes down to this. It comes down to having the motivation, the right motivation, the graceful motivation. A guy named Exusbury, uh, Antoine de Exusbury, he said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people and collect wood and assign them tasks and work, but teach them to long for the endless sea. Teach them to long for the endless sea. We don't want you to think of your faith and we don't want you to come to this place and to your small groups and to Sunday school as something just grueling. That it's just something you should do, you have to do. We want you to get something. We want you to get that there is fuel for your life and it's not guilt and it's not fear. That what Jesus is saying, what God is saying to you is we want you to have the motivation to go the distance in your life, to do things not out of guilt and fear, but to recognize that what you need, the righteousness of God, peace with God to live in a place where you're okay, that's already taken care of. And God knows this about you, that when you trust it, when grace has a real role in your life, guess what? He gets the rest of you too. He gets the rest of you. You watch. I challenge you. Give grace a foothold in your life and watch it begin to motivate you in every other area as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that all the things that we worry about and are anxious about, the things that are underneath all of those other things, that you've already faced them down, even death. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would plant a seed of trust in each and every one of us. Even if we already believe in you, even if we already call ourselves Christians, even if we already say and claim the name of Christ and we're seeking to follow you and walk in your ways, find those places in our lives where we're living out of guilt and fear and replace it with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.